Welcome to A Thousand and One Good Nights, a podcast about the stories behind bedtime stories. Follow along with two new dads, one a psychologist and one a book editor, as they explore the nighttime ritual of their foreseeable future. Hey, Ben. Hey, Nick. I guess uh, somebody must have thrown up the bat signal because it's Stella Luna time. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, I, I, I practiced that phrase several times. <laughs> I'm really excited to deliver it. It's a good one. Yes, we were talking about Stella Luna, the story of a bat, um, who for a while thinks she's a bird. But I'll let you uh, recap yeah, the, the story I for can, us. I can give you the plot. I mean, that's... That pretty much is the plot, but, <laughs> <laughs> but just tack on maybe a sentence or two. Um, Stella Luna is a young bat that is separated from her mother by an owl attack, and she falls into a bird's nest, and she has to learn to live by their rules, so keeping daylight hours, eating bugs, not hanging upside down, typical bird stuff. She does her best, but... She's so bad at, at perching on a branch that she gets embarrassed and just keeps flying around all day rather than attempt a landing, which means that, unfortunately, she gets separated from her second family, and she ends up hanging by her thumbs and falling asleep, and then she wakes up, and there's a bunch of bats gawking at her, and then it turns out that her mother is among them, and they reintroduce her to bat culture and then she goes back to her foster bird family and takes them on a night flight and at the end of it they kind of agree that they're still going to remain friends they even though they they have different lifestyles does that does that sound I mean, excellent summary i feel like you're getting better at these ben oh, good. i mean you're really just hitting your stride well, it's, with these, with these it's easier when it's it, pretty much the whole thing is just a bat falls into a bird's nest <laughs> and, and adapts <laughs> though i'm uh i'm a little embarrassed as i feel like i have that plot down but you casually mentioned that there's entire uh, a parallel plot that mm. is happening the entire time that i would never have noticed i love me a good parallel plot let me tell you yeah, so this one, I, it took me about 10 read-throughs probably. Where, So on the structure of the book is, I think just about every page is like text on one page and then on the facing page is like a full full spread image. But on the text page, there's like a, a little like small um, illustration above the text and it, they're like little tiny vignettes. Um, and what I, what I realized is it, during the initial stages when it's the the owl attack it's well the little vignettes are all about the mom so the story the main story proceeds and it's all about stella luna but even as the main story is going along if you pay attention to the little um the little illustrations at the top of the text page it's about the mom like looking for stella luna the whole time so which is kind of cool so there's, there's literally two stories going on at once and it's as Stella Luna is trying to figure herself out and eventually find her culture and her people, the whole time you sort of realize the mom was looking for her too, which is kind of unlike 
Are You My Mother, where you don't know if the mom just like took off for a while to go right. shopping and <laughs> couldn't care less about the, the baby bird. This one, you get a sense that like mom is actively upset and looking for Selena. So yeah, on, on, cool. which honestly, that makes a big difference in what I think about the story, because from the first page, you, it's, it's a really tender moment. The mother is crooning over her daughter, Stella Luna, and you assume that it's going to be about their relationship. And then she disappears. And then when she's reintroduced to Stella Luna with the other bats, it's not because she finds her. She, the other bats find Stella Luna and then she sniffs, right? She, she smells her and says, oh, yeah, you're my, you're my <laughs> daughter. Okay. Yeah. Let me, let me show you some, let me show you a mango. But not, not like, oh my gosh, I've been missing you all this time and what a big bat you've become. And I, I feel that I've been robbed of your childhood, but I'm so happy that we're reunited. Just very casual. Welcome back to, to, to your fellow bats. But it, when, when you see her in those small vignettes, frantically searching and searching in kind of some perilous places, like there's right. a lot of her staring into, I guess, hollow trees with like ominous eyes in them and, and things like that. So you, you, it, it really changes, I think, the, the narrative arc of the mother as, as a character, or at least it, I don't know, right, doesn't it do that for you? Does that, did yeah. it, and you didn't notice this, so I feel like you've read Stella Luna more than I have. So you, I think, had more readings of it than I did, thinking that the mother maybe had just gone off to do her thing or... I, I I sure hope that some birds have adopted my bat daughter. That's, that's probably the likeliest scenario. So I won't do myself to look for. We'll be fine. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, th- one of the things that before I noticed that the book sort of sets it up to be like a it's a parent it's a book about the parent child relationship, right? Because like you you know the right daughter gets you know lost from from the mom and she's away, but then they they're you get the sense they're going to get reunited, and that's what it's kind of going to be about. But it, it's it's a little anticlimactic when they do reunite. Like you said, the mom takes her to eat some mangoes and shows her that she can fly at the night. But then the the story kind of goes back to Stella Luna and her bird friends, and even the end, the very last page that has kind of if you want to have if you describe it as sort of like the moral of the story they she realized she and the her adopted bird siblings realize well we're different in a lot of ways but it's kind of amazing that we're still friends and we really like each other you know so you can you can be friends despite differences and so the the if you if you didn't have those little vignettes of the mom you would think well actually this isn't really a story about uh, parents and children it's more a story about friendship but i think that having those the, the little mom vignettes it it's more complicated because it clearly is about it's about both right well what do you think of the other mom figure in the they're, they're both so it's what is it is it what are they called mother bad and mother bird mama bird what's mama the, bird yeah 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 um mama bird has a, a rather um authoritarian parenting style it looks like <laughs> yeah very kind of harsh looking um yeah, I think Jack, if, if you super alarmed uh, <laughs> by that scene where when Stella Luna has been hanging upside down from the nest and and then the, the bird siblings flutter flitter flitter what what were they uh, oh uh, flip flat uh, 
flap. Flitter flap. Pip. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, she, they're all hanging upside down too. And then essentially the mama bird, uh, gives her the, my, like, if you're going to be under this roof, you've got to live by my rules speech. Right. And, and Stella Luna is, looks very chastened. And so that's the, Jack will always flip back to that page and really just say, what's going on? Has Stella Luna been bad? Why is Mama Bird so angry? Is Mama Bird, like, is Stella Luna wrong? Is Mama Bird wrong? Like, what do you, and do you think, so this is, what, what interests me about this is a lot of uh, stories like this, I feel like I've, I've been trained. It's the, the main character feels like a fish out of water, but then it's that difference that ends up saving the day, like a Dumbo ear situation where right. actually what made them a misfit actually is this miraculous gift sort of thing. Um, but that's not quite how this is. Like a lot of it's the stories about adaptation. So Stella Luna has to do things. She has to sort of, I guess, conform in order to survive. She has to eat the bugs and she has to resist the impulse to hang upside down and do those sort of right. things. And and I feel like, frankly, if if I took in another species into my, into my family and, and raised it with my kids, I would be a little nervous too, especially right. if the, the, the pet lion we took in started encouraging right. my daughter to do lion things. I would be a little stern, I think, with the lion. <laughs> right. Well, it's interesting um, you say that because this, in some ways, this reminds me of the book Library Lion in which like the, the lion comes to the library and then there's a different set of rules. And then eventually the lion breaks the rules, but not really the spirit of the rules. And so it's kind of this clash of, I don't know, like social mores or, or something. <laughs> right. Um, I I wonder too, if part of it is like a sort of aesthetic effect where, because because one of the things that strikes me is like bats are weird looking. They're, they're not like super cute animals necessarily and so I, I wonder if if to make Stella Luna and the bats more sympathetic they deliberately make the birds look a little meaner and kind of mangier okay because I think I'm glad, more... I'm glad you said that because uh first of all uh yeah bats I would think would always be not unlovable but there's a lot of unpleasant associations with them yeah. I mean, honestly, right now is not a great time to be a bat, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but even then you, I mean, like, I mean, like it's, it's not a new thing. I mean, vampires, all, all that, it's very clear. This is a fruit bat, but nonetheless, no, they're, they're kind of they, dark. They still, they still kind of look like bat. They, they come out at night. They kind of look like, you know, rats with wings. Yeah. But do you know how this book came to be? Do you know the backstory? No. So, uh, the author, uh, Janelle Cannon was observing children at the library. It was kind of the books that they picked out. And she noticed that the, there were three books about bats in the children's section that were just worn to pieces. Hmm. And they, I, I, maybe they had to be taken out of circulation. In other words, they were, they were the most popular books in the in whatever, I don't know where it was, Carlsbad library or wherever she was. Um, <laughs> Like I think it was that, that was that sounded very specific. So I think I, I think that's what it was, but but also maybe not. Anyway, so the important part is that like she, so she's like, kids love bats. I'm gonna do a book about bats, and she did the illustrations first, and then she came up with the story. Uh. So it was actually children's attraction to bats 
that drove the story instead of I have a story and now I've got to mold the illustrations to, to I mean, admittedly, like maybe she was like, well, if, if kids are attracted to bats, I'm going to give them the, the cutest bats they've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. And like the, the, you know, and the, the birds are going to be especially scruffy and kind of fierce looking right. um, like in, you know, in, in opposition. But yeah. And I think I like when I think of bats are cool, but they're not I, like I could see bats being in, the kids being interested in bats. But but when you're make, when you're making a children's book about a bat as the central character, it's not I don't think it's enough for them to be interesting. They have to be like sympathetic and relatable. Right. And, yeah. and I think one of the ways you get there is like through a foil. Right. Like right. You, you make the the opposing characters like for the reader to feel more sympathetic to Stella Luna it helps if the mama bird is kind of harsh and intimidating because it, right. it sort of puts you in the place of Stella right? Well, the book is almost explicitly about that. There's a whole, there's this section about when the bats rediscover Stella Luna, they ask her, what are you doing upside down? And Stella Luna says, I'm not upside down. You're upside down. <laughs> and then it's a, kind of a confusing interchange. And then the, the, the bat says, well, but I'm a bat, so upside down is not upside down, and so you're upside down. And <laughs> anyway, but but the point is, you, it, it's that same sort of thing. It's like you have to, you have to kind of flip things in order for the for the bat to like. You have to see things from the bat's perspective in this right. kind of upside down way for the for the bat to be kind of the approachable, accessible character, and the birds to be the the less cute, less accessible. Uh, especially like baby birds. Like, let's make the baby birds right. not the, not the <laughs> cutest character in the frame. Um, so spe- speaking of framing, um, what do you make of the it, the visual style? It's got an interesting visual style. And maybe, uh, do you want to try and explain it or do you want me to? Well, I mean, are you talking about how the, the background is kind of blurred? Yeah, so it's, it, yeah, the the literally almost every single page, the, the foreground or the subject um, is very like crisp and sharp and and very detailed and um, evocative, but then the background is almost completely blurred out all the time. It's it actually looks like a photographic effect. Like you can kind of intuit what is behind it, but you you definitely can't make it out. Like the, any kind of details, um, you can see like vague outlines of trees sometimes. And I, as far as I know, like I've I've never seen a book that does this just the whole way through. So it, it's kind of, it's kind of striking. What do, so I've got, I've got a few thoughts. Okay. Um, I have more thoughts about that. Usually I'm the one that has, uh, I, I feel like few aesthetic opinions, <laughs> but this time I, I'm, I'm chock full of them. One, I, I, I liked it. And part of me felt like it was uh, not bat vision, Gosh, that that sounds really dumb when I say it, but but there there was something about this is how bats see the world, which I don't think that's true. There was actually less bat science in this book than than I would have anticipated, mm-hmm. and maybe that's kind of in line with what you're saying. Like, if I would have thought that most bat books would sort of lean into the interesting aspect of bats and talk about echolocation and and stuff and and sort of the the sciency things like that. And instead this is more about, I don't know, I guess it's still the science, but it's, it's, it, it becomes more customs and less like this is like bats physiological (laughs) skill sets or, or or something. Um, yeah. So I, I liked the the, kind of the the blurred background effect. Um, and once again, like if, you know, 
maybe nothing is to distract you from how uh, acute Stella Luna, like, you know, how Stella Luna is the kind of bat that you want to croon over just like, like mother mm-hmm. bat. Um, the thing that I really noticed about the book is, I don't know if you noticed the, uh, the nest that, that the birds have. It has mm-hmm. those, uh, like there's a, a, like a ribbon and a couple of beads, some red beads in the, like the brown of the nest. Yeah. Is that, is that, so that's for some reason I could not stop staring at that. And I think maybe it's because in my branch of book publishing, when you decide to do color, it's, it's a pretty explicit and almost weighty choice because it's more expensive to produce things in color. It's harder to reprint color. A lot mm-hmm. of times we, we cram things into a color insert instead of distributing them, uh, you know, in, in full color across the book. And when we make those decisions, it's not just would this look better in color, but it's can the content be communicated any other way. And so when we're selecting images that sort of say, should this book be in color or should this be an image for the color insert? It's man, this better be a really colorful photo. And here you've got a kind of a non-colorful photo and then just this repeatedly, this tiny little strand of beads. And it's really striking. So I was really drawn to it, but it's definitely like, it doesn't seem like an important detail. Like in, in Journey, there's a lot of times where it'll be black and white and then there'll be one red element. And that's a narrative device where you're supposed, you're supposed to be drawn to that and that tells the story of, you know, because there, there aren't really, there aren't words. Right. Um, but I can't really tell what the narrative, like, I mean, except that it's just kind of another arbitrary detail. I mean, and so I feel like that's kind of a piece with maybe the blurry background. Like there's, it seems like a deliberate choice, but I can't really tell what the, what the narrative effect is. So I'm mildly suspicious, but in the case of the blurred background, I, I did kind of enjoy it. Yeah. I think that, so for people who haven't read the book, the, if you think about the visual style of the book, the, the first few pages of the book where, where Stella Luna gets lost from her mom, there's pretty bold colors. Like it's this dark blue kind of night background. And and then in the, in the end, once Stella Luna kind of leaves her adopted family and goes and discovers it, that's all pretty, it's fairly colorful. But the, the time when Stella Luna's trying to kind of adjust to her new adoptive family, it's 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 not exactly monochromatic, but it's, it's almost kind of sepia toned. Like it's very muted and, and kind of gray and um, topy looking, um, which, you know, sort I think sort of, you know, reflects maybe how she's feeling. Um, but I think with the, with the beads, I think that's maybe, I I don't know that it's a narrative device so much as just an aesthetic thing. Like it's because it's so monochromatic, it it just helps to have a little splash of color. And, And of course, like this is the whole process of making children's books is so different than, than what I do. So you're not, you're already making something so different and unique and you're there's there's color everywhere so it's there's it's not as it's not as big of a decision maybe to slip something like that in there but it, yeah it was it was hard for me to to, to look away <laughs> right yeah i also okay so while we're on the kind of formal elements of the book um i really appreciate the just the the physicality of this book like the proportions and the size yeah. is like really appealing to me I'm, I'm finding that the the more i do uh serious children's book reading these the last couple of years the less and less tolerant i am of kind of flimsy paperback versions and and cheap board books and i really am getting more and more appreciative of like solid hardbound 
big, well-proportioned books. And this one feels just right. Like it's, it's not so big that it's hard to maneuver and sort of uh, yeah. position while you're reading it, but it's very um, substantial feeling. You know, you, like you really feel like you're reading a book. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, almost like books that are uh, not just, uh, I would say, ostentatious, but like sturdy, like like as a practical measure, just for just for yeah. them to be able to survive. And it, it's not a matter of them being like board books or the books that are meant to be chewed. It's just this this book seems like it can it can stand up. I mean, even so, we haven't read uh, Still Luna that much. But just being on the shelf with other books being taken out and fallen to the ground and getting knocked about, it's already had a pretty hard life without being subjected to the kind of just, I mean, it doesn't matter. We, we, it could be, we could have a, a platinum cars and trucks and things that go, but, and, and it would, it would be wrecked like, <laughs> within a few months. But, uh, you know, but just being, you know, being on the shelf, it's like you're, you're on the front lines. So you better, you better be able to, uh, like hold your own. Right. <laughs> um, okay. So kind of uh, zooming out big picture here, what getting back to sort of the, the content of the book, if you had to pick out one thing, what, what would you say kind of the theme of the story is you mentioned adaptability. Like, yeah, you think I, that's kind I, of a... I, I, I kind of think that's it, but I mean, but I don't know what it's, what it says about adaptability. I mean, if, if it's praising or if it's, if it's just sort of a, a story about it, um, that, you know, this is, this is how you get by and, and, and you can, I mean, the book at, at the, at the end seems to make this kind of unexpected pivot into it being about friendship. Mm-hmm. Like, like what, what's the, the final line of the book feels like a, feels like, um, and how can we feel so different and be so much alike, wondered Pip? Because we're right. friends, said Staluna, and that's a fact. And that 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 feels. And I was like, oh, I, I, I guess it's the it's the books about friendship. And, and, and like you, I was like, oh, I I thought this was a book about you know the relationship between a child and and her parent, <laughs> but no, it's it's actually about friend. It just, but being buddies, you can even even if you perch differently, like our, our friendship is right. going to stand the test of of uh, different flying habits. So, I mean, what do you, what did you, did you have something? No, in in addition to finding a, a secret parallel plot, have you found a a secret, a secret moral buried somewhere in the text? Um, No, I I don't know that I would have said adaptability exactly, but I feel like most of the story is about, I mean, in some ways I feel like it's like a coming of age story, you know, like it's about identity self-discovery or something um and and a part of that obviously is is sort of um adaptability and flexibility but then also kind of staying true to yourself and your own nature and and that kind of balance but then it does it throws this weird um pitch in at the end for friendship as the (laughs) the big thing um so i don't it feels a little tacked on to me at the end um so i I don't i don't quite know what to make of that but um I'm, i'm gonna i'm gonna go with um coming of age I, I i think that's the that's the theme i'm choosing to take away from just, this i think just like discovering what it means to, to self-discovery to be, yeah becoming a becoming what it means to go from a young bat to an adult <laughs> an adult <laughs> hey everyone we hope you enjoyed this episode of a thousand and one good nights if you want to learn more about this book and other bedtime stories 
check out our website at 1001goodnights.com. That's 1001goodnights.com. Be sure to sign up for our monthly email newsletter to get updates about upcoming seasons and other new content. Finally, please help us out by rating the show on iTunes. This helps spread the word about the show and get it in front of new listeners each week.